0: Okay, good morning. Let me invite you to turn in your worship guide to page three for the reading of scripture. So my name is Darren and I serve as a pastor here uh, at Ironworks and going to be speaking to you this morning from the 13th chapter of Mark's Gospel. Uh, You can find it there on page three. I'm gonna read the passage and then invite you to respond uh, as indicated below. Would you listen now with open ears? as I read these words from the book that we love. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all: Stay awake, friends. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, uh, we come to you uh, in this time. We've sung these songs. We've confessed our sins. We've been called to worship we've uh, given and received the peace of Christ to one another and we have read this your good news and Lord I recognize that as we come here uh, for many or most or perhaps even all of us uh, it was difficult to say these words praise be to you O Christ because the words that I have read uh, do not sound like good news in fact uh, it sounds quite the opposite And Lord, I recognize further that we come here, uh, this group of us, from all kinds of different places. Some of us come in here full of hope, full of joy, full of happiness. Others of us come in here uh, with lives that are not well, uh, with lives that are a mess in all kinds of ways. Some of us come in here and we are filled with faith in you and hope and trust, and uh, we look forward to uh, how you are going to be working in our lives this year. Others of us come in here and our faith, it feels like, is just hanging on by a thread. Some of us come in here and we are filled with all kinds of doubts and skepticism. Some of us, no doubt, uh, are even here today and we we know, we are convinced uh, that you are not real and that you do not exist. Lord, I recognize whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we come here in joy or sadness, whether we come here uh, in times that are pleasant or times that are um, full of disrepair, whether we come here in faith or with many doubts, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same. We all have an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, and to be changed by you. And I pray that you would give us grace to see how you have addressed this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. This is one of these occasions where I uh, am required to work extra hard for the money you pay me, so thank you for that. We'll see how I do. Uh, This is the gospel of the Lord, and yet this is, uh, the content that I just read is a very unpopular message in America. We are in our sermon series that we are calling uh, immediately The Urgent Mission of Jesus Christ, uh, which goes through the Gospel of Mark. And I've been asking this question, why is the mission of Jesus Christ, his mission that he was executing in his time and then the mission that he gives to you, why is it urgent? Well, it's urgent, says this passage, because judgment is coming. Right? I just want to be honest with you. If you're here and you're not sure what you think about Christian faith, I hope that you'll hang on with me. Uh, I hope to address some of the concerns you have. Uh, but Christian faith does teach that the mission of the church, the reason that we're here in Phoenixville, right? The, the desire that I have for you and your friends and your family and your neighbors and those that you care about, to have genuine, repeated, authentic encounters with the living God, one of the the reasons that's so urgent to me is because judgment is coming, right? Judgment is coming. And you know, when you hear about uh, conflicts around the world, so for example, Syria has been in the news a lot recently. I don't know if you've been following that, but uh, I was recently reading about a convoy of refugees leaving Syria, being blocked at Turkey, and, it, and it's absolutely horrible. It's absolutely horrific. I cannot honestly wrap my mind around it. And uh, all of you, I, I could be so bold as assume, all of you, at least who are alive at that time, all of you know where you were on September 11th, 2001. Right? All of you know exactly where you were, and it, that, those events affected you deeply, uh, without any doubt, right? If you're here and you were, uh, you know, you were old enough to remember back then, uh, you know where you were, you know the kinds of uh, trauma that, that, that those events inflicted on our country, right? However, if you, if you lost someone in those attacks, right? The way that you feel about it, the way that, that you experienced it is far different from those of us who didn't, right? So shortly after 9-11, um, I began working in New York City with uh, those participating in the recovery effort. And I can tell you that you know, I, I lived in New Jersey at the time. I, I did not lose anyone in 9-11, thankfully. But when I started work in that space, uh, basically everyone I knew from work, everyone I knew had lost at least a coworker. Right? and the way that those people talked about it, you could see it written on their face, that, that for them, this was not what it was for, for most of you, right? for most of us. This was, this was something deeply personal. Well, I wanna tell you that when Jesus Christ is sitting here outside the temple, he's surveying this uh, fantastic, amazing structure, and he's speaking these words, it's important for you to understand that Jesus is in the camp of the person who lost someone, right? You see, for Jesus, he's speaking to people who will actually be experiencing the events that he is prophesying. So for him, the words that he's saying are ones that are deeply personal, that are affecting him deeply on that level, that are not separated like they are often for us. You see, when we read about judgment, we don't think about people we care about being part of it. Not the case for Jesus. Uh, That was very much the case for him. So I want to tell you that as we get into this passage, which is very difficult, has a lot of unanswered questions. I will try to answer some of them. Some will be unanswered. Um, I want you to understand that when he says these words, that for him, this is not separated from his emotions. These are not separated from those he cares about, but very much a part of it. So with that, I want to look at this under three headings. Uh, Number one, the coming of judgment. Number two, the point of judgment, what's its purpose. And then number three, how do you prepare for judgment, okay? The coming, the point, and preparing. First of all, the coming. So in verse two, uh, Jesus, looking at the temple, uh, as his disciples are admiring this work of art, he says, you know, when I see this, what I see is that no stone is gonna be left on top of another stone, right? That every stone will be thrown down, every stone will be affected by this. And I I personally fall uh, in the position that what Jesus is talking about to a significant extent, not a total extent, but to a significant extent, what he is writing about is actually an event that you can go on the internet, you can open history books and read about under the heading, the siege of Jerusalem. So if you wanna read about this, just Google the siege of Jerusalem and you'll find that uh, that took place uh, from about April to September in the year 70 CE, right? So the Roman army uh, decided to overtake Jerusalem, there were conflicts brewing, and that battle ends, guess where? At the temple, right? Um, And so, uh, most Bible scholars, I think, believe that the at least some believe that all many believe that most of what Jesus is talking about, you can actually go and read about how those events unfolded under uh, that historical event, the siege of Jerusalem. But um, there is something I want to say about how prophecy has worked in the Scriptures that I think is crucial to understanding the relevance of this passage to your life. Okay, how s- prophecy works in Scripture. So. The commentators use this language of what they call multiple horizons when reading prophetic material, multiple horizons. And a great example is uh, the prophecy given in Isaiah chapter seven. Many of you know this, right? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call uh, his name Emmanuel, right? Anyone care to guess what that's referring to? Right. Yes. All of you who made reference to King Ahaz and Judah, good job. Okay. Right. Um, so that prophecy ultimately is about the coming and birth of Jesus Christ. Right. That's its its uh, its real fulfillment. But on the other hand, the folks at Isaiah's time um, understood that there was relevance in that prophecy to King Ahaz of Judah, who was fearing the invasion of two kings from Damascus and Samaria. Um, And the prophecy goes on to say, before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken, right? And if you keep on reading Isaiah 7 into chapter 8, you will see how God intends to fulfill this promise in an immediate sense. Isaiah himself will have a child with the prophetess who at that time of his prediction was a maiden, and they will have a son, right? But, But before the child was able to say, mommy or daddy, God will have used the king of Assyria, to come and destroy Damascus and Samaria, right? So, in other words, what's going on is that here's this prophecy, and to a certain extent, this prophecy was fulfilled in the time of Isaiah, but not fully. And in the same way, I understand uh, the prophecy in Mark 13 to largely be fulfilled in the events that unfolded in the siege of Jerusalem, but not entirely. How do we know that? Well, one reason we know that is because Jesus will say a couple things in here that uh, will highlight that. So, for example, he'll say, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, right? And there's no way that that happened uh, prior to the events of the siege of Jerusalem. In fact, that's still happening. And in fact, one of the reasons uh, that our missions program at Ironworks is specifically targeted at reaching unreached people groups is because we believe that by reaching all people groups, translated nations, right, that we are hastening the coming of Jesus Christ because that is a prerequisite for his coming. So that's how I read it. Two horizons. There's a horizon that uh, in, in many ways was fulfilled in the events of 70 CE. However, there's also relevance, I believe, towards the final judgment, but judgment is coming, and it did come. To to try to put this in more technicolor for you, and I apologize for the scene I'm about to paint, but it is important that you understand it. I'm going to read to you from Jewish historian Josephus uh, as he writes about these events uh, after they did unfold, and this is what he says talking about the final battle uh, for the temple uh, in the siege of Jerusalem. This is what he says. He says, as the legions charged in neither persuasion nor threat could check their impetuosity if i'm pronouncing that right passion alone was in command crowded together around the entrances many were trampled by their friends many fell among the still hot and smoking ruins of the colonnades and died as miserably as the defeated as they neared the sanctuary They pretended not even to hear Caesar's commands and urged the men in front to throw in more firebrands. The partisans were no longer in a position to help. Everywhere was slaughter and flight. Most of the victims were peaceful citizens, weak and unarmed, butchered wherever they were caught. Round the altar, heaps of corpses grew higher and higher while down the sanctuary steps poured a river of blood, and the bodies of those killed at the top slithered to the bottom." Right, and friends, I read that because it's important that you understand that when Jesus is speaking these words, right, ultimately, uh, first relevant most of all to uh, the people that he was writing to, but I believe in a second horizon relevant to you, that the, the picture of judgment in the scriptures is more horrific than you can imagine. You just have to understand that, that it is more horrific than you can imagine. And as Jesus is writing this, uh, as we said, that uh, for this, this is a deeply personal prophecy that he has given. He is, he is looking out of his friends, probably some of whom uh, that would fall victim to it. Um, and uh, when we start to look at the point of judgment, we understand that when you read in your Bible, you will see... Uh, reference to the final judgment written all throughout the pages of the Old and the New Testament under this heading, the day of the Lord. If you ever read that heading, that's uh, what it's talking about, right? That judgment is anticipated as a guaranteed event that is coming at an undisclosed time. And to understand the point of judgment, you have to understand two things, right? The first is that it is a day of terror. It is a day of horror, as I've just said. But secondly, and this is where it gets, this is where it gets perhaps a little difficult. In addition to that, it's a day of hope. You're like, how's that work? How's that go together? Well, on one hand, judgment is, is more awful than you can imagine. But on the other hand, the day of judgment is seen as a day of hope. Where do we see that? Well, you see it here uh, in our passage in verse eight, where he uses this language that I think captures what he's doing, right? What is judgment about? Well, uh, he says there below, he says, these are but the beginning of the birth pains, right? Now, I wonder if there's any moms here in the house today, right, is, is birth really painful? I'm just curious, right? Like everyone says it is, but you know, like, is it actually painful? No, okay, all right, <laughs> anyhow. Um, I will pay for this later, Um, (laughs) right? But he says they're at the beginning of the birth pains. And one of the things I love about this analogy of birth pains, right, is that, um, you know, I actually love visiting the hospital. I love meeting with folks, you know, who are are in need and, and being in those spaces, right? But I will tell you that it does feel very different, right? When you are visiting a new family who's just given birth to a child, right, in the maternity ward, versus when you were uh, going to hospice, right? When you're, in, when you're in a place of like a hospice center or in-home hospice, it feels very different than when you're visiting the maternity ward, right? And honestly, the, the screaming, just so you know, is louder in the maternity ward, right? Louder there, but you hear it and you think, a baby's coming, oh, this is gonna be so great, you know, they'll be fine, right? Um, but you feel differently about it than you do when you're in the hospice, right? If you were to hear screaming over there. Because uh, in, the, in the maternity labor and de- delivery uh, place, you know that pain is going to lead to joyful crying, right? You know that. You know that you know, this, this family, particularly this mother that is experiencing absolutely excruciating pain is about to be, that pain is leading to crying with joy with an overwhelming sense of joy and celebration. You know that oftentimes for Christian families, you know that hymns are going to be sung here shortly, right? Whereas it feels differently when you're in other parts of the hospital. And what Jesus is saying here is that, yes, judgment is horrific, yes, it's terrible, yes, it's awful, yes, it's full of terror, but for the Christian, right, for the Christian, it's the pain not of death, but actually of birth, right? That it is giving birth to something that is so absolutely filled with joy, absolutely filled with blessing, that it will have the same person who was, right, screaming at the top of her lungs, will have her singing hymns to God shortly thereafter. Right, so judgment in Scripture is a time of terror, but it's also a time of hope, right? And, um, you know, we struggle with this here in America because uh, we haven't experienced what folks have around the world, but we understand from our brothers and sisters in parts of the world that are filled with war and filled with the conquest of war uh, that for those people, the, this is not a difficult teaching. For those people that, when they hear missionaries come to town, they say, Tell us more about judgment. Because when they've had their lands taken from them, when they've had members of their family abused, They want to know that God cares enough about the things that they've suffered to set it right, right? To set it right. The other part of judgment that's hard for us is that some of you have experienced tremendous loss, right, at the hands of other people. Some of you have experienced uh, things in your life that honestly are still eating away at you. And when I say to you, yes, you know, those events are are going to be judged, you'd say that's comforting, right? It's comforting to know that God is going to make right the things that were taken from me. God's going to make right the ways in which I have been harmed, even though they're not right now. On the other hand, right, it might be difficult because judgment says the things that you've done wrong, Right? The, the ways that you've hurt people, those, those acts will one day be taken care of. God will one day address those in judgment as well. Right, That judgment is the great accounting. It's the time when all the debts will ultimately be paid that have not yet been paid. And so it is part of his uh, plan to bring about a heaven and earth where there is no more sin, suffering, sorrow, sickness, or death, one of the ways he he must do that is he must deal with all the injustice that looms in this world. So that's the point. Now, how do you prepare for the coming judgment? How do you prepare for that? Well, the passage most uh, frequently uses this language of being on guard or being watchful. Right? That's the most general sense that Jesus is saying is, look, stay awake, he concludes the passage. Be on guard. You know, be on the lookout. And then, but he'll give you some specific ways that you can do that. First one that I found um, particularly helpful is in this paragraph uh, that begins with verse 9. He says, be on guard, and he's speaking to his disciples, uh, prophesying how they will be brought before those in authority and they will be asked to speak Uh, But he makes this comment um, in verse 11 that I found to be really helpful. He says, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speaks, but the Holy Spirit. And this, I think, perhaps, was the most uh, helpful exhortation of this passage as I considered it for myself and I'm considering it now for you. Right, how do you prepare, how do you prepare for a hard season, right? Some of you live in fear that the shoe is about to drop. I don't know, some of you have told me that, right? And I know that I often find myself in that place. You know, when the shoe does drop, how will you thrive in that time? How can you best prepare now, if you're not in that space, to when it does drop? Right, and maybe, maybe that's this, this ultimate time or maybe it's simply a season of great difficulty in your life. How can you prepare for that well? Well, the first thing that Jesus says here is this. Learn a kind of dependency upon the Holy Spirit. You want to prepare. You want to prepare for a hard time. You want to know how to make it through a difficult time. Jesus says you must learn to depend on the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, It's interesting, the the direct application in our passage had to do with how do you speak when you're put on trial before people who are, you know, probably going to take your life? How do you speak in that case? That's something that most of us cannot even fathom. But you know what you can fathom? Probably, right? Uh, Recently, we conducted a series of meetings that we called The Reason for God, where we asked you to invite friends and neighbors and family and you know, folks who might have interest or questions in uh, Christian faith to come and participate, right? And um, a bunch of you did invite folks and a bunch of them all came, right? But if you didn't invite someone, right? If you were thinking like, no, I don't don't know how to do that well, it's gonna be too awkward, I'm not gonna say it right or, or anything like that, I'm not gonna have that conversation because it's too hard, right? If that's you, if you did not have a conversation for those reasons or others, Right? What? What? How do you? What, what's going on there that this passage might address? Answer: Perhaps you need to learn a new kind of dependency on the Holy Spirit to have difficult conversations. Right? That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you know, when you're asked to speak, find a find the words from the power of the Holy Spirit. And you know, at a practical level, friends. At a practical level, this sounds kind of nebulous. At a practical level, the way that this happens, I have found, is through a deepening connection with God in prayer, All right? You, want, you know, I'm saying here, you need to learn a new kind of dependency on the Holy Spirit, and you're thinking, that sounds really nebulous, Pastor Darren, like I have no idea what you're talking about. All right, translated, you need to learn to pray. You need to learn to connect with God in prayer in such a way that you begin to commune with him in such a way that words of this passage find their place in your life. Now, how do you do that? Well, there is one little nugget in this passage that um, I absolutely love um, that I think brings this out uh, so helpfully. So Jesus, as he's, um, as he's, talking about these events and he's laying out the horror of these events. You know, my, my mind was so captivated by this paragraph beginning in verse 14, right? I don't know if yours was as well, but um, let me read for you beginning in verse 17 where he's thinking about the pregnant women and the nursing women and, and how hard it's going to be particularly for them. He says this, and alas for women who are pregnant And for those who are nursing infants in those days, and then look at the next next sentence, because you're not gonna believe it unless you see this. What does he say next? Pray that this does not happen in the winter. Now that sentence right there just blew me out of my sermon preparation chair, right? Pray that the siege of Jerusalem, which is a guaranteed, it is coming event, Pray that it does not happen in the winter. I want you to hear Jesus telling his friends, right, as their jaws are on the floor, as he's laying out the horror of these events, and he's saying, this generation will not pass away. This is coming. You will experience it. It will be horrible. This is how you prepare. And he says, by the way, pray that it doesn't happen in the winter. Now, this sentence ought to have a just like a, targeted missile at your prayer life if you let it, right? You see, our church is what we call is part of the reformed tradition, right? Which is a wonderful historic uh, approach to God that really appreciates his sovereignty over all things, that he's in control of all things in ways that would blow your mind. So that he says, I've numbered all the hairs on your heads I've written down all the days of your life in my book before any of them came to pass. Before a word is on your tongue, I actually know it. I know what you're going to say before you say it. I know what you're going to think before you think it. That he is so profoundly sovereign in all ways, right, that it just can blow your mind, right? And we believe that with every ounce of our being. But in the same way, Jesus says, yes, God has planned all things. Yes, He's in control of all things. Yes, He knows all things. Yes, He's working all things. But you can pray for the season that these events will take place in. Think about that. What does that mean to you, by the way? Answer, your prayers matter. Right? That is the genius of of Christian faith taught in the Scriptures, that God is so completely in control of all things that He's written down every day that your organs will function before any of them happen, that He knows every move you'll make. He knows who you're going to marry. He knows the time of your death. He knows when your first kiss will happen. Right? He knows all of those things before any of them happen, but yet at the same time, your prayers matter. That's Christian faith, right? You see, many people who embrace the Reformed faith, as I have, many of us find that we fall into a kind of fatalism, Well, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. It's going to be the way it's going to be. Nothing you can do is going to change it. It's just going to be that way. But here we have the Son of God Himself telling His friends, please pray that this does not happen in winter right please pray, please ask god that this that these guaranteed events don't take place in winter and of course we know as i said earlier that the siege of jerusalem actually took place from april april, four, uh, april 14th to september the 8th so i believe uh, his people did pray and god did in fact hear their prayers Right? You see that one of the ways that you can learn to depend on the Holy Spirit is to begin to approach God in prayer as though your prayers matter. is right? begin to cry out to Him, God, I don't know what to say in this case. I'm afraid. I don't know how to approach this person I've been praying about, I care about, but I'm really afraid that I'm going to say something stupid. I'm going to say the wrong thing. I don't know what's going to happen. Begin to pray believing that your prayers matter. Uh, As an aside, I believe that uh, I wanna just honor the, the leadership of Ryan Estes. Ryan organized a group of folks to pray for our Reason for God gathering. Some of you were part of those teams. And I can tell you that those meetings were filled with spiritual power. That God has heard your prayers that you've prayed as they have been embraced at a corporate level. Um, and I'm just so excited to see what comes next because I think God is leading us as a congregation down this path and he's beginning to show us his power uh, that is available as we ask uh, and things are beginning to change as a result, right? So that's the thing. You have to, in order to prepare well, you need to learn dependency on the Holy Spirit and the way that you do that is you learn uh, a deepening communion with him, particularly in prayer, right? Lastly, I wanna conclude here. Lastly, uh, the best way to prepare for judgment is actually to confront uh, what I think is, where where actually the good news is, because I still haven't convinced you that the passage I've read to you is good news. I realize that, not yet earned my money. Sarah will be docking my paycheck here at the end of the month. Um, I'll be out there on the side of the road asking for help. Um, have not yet done that, so how is it good news, what I've just read, right? How's that work? Well, you see here, uh, I said at the beginning that uh, the great judgment of God is making right all of the wrong in this world, that God cares enough about the wrong that He will make it right. But you see, uh, as Jesus was saying these words, as He was having this conversation, as He was laying out the terror of these things you know it was probably on his mind the most right he's looking at the stones of the temple being cast apart ripped apart and burned down he's talking thinking probably about all of the horror that's going to commence but you see these events are extremely close to when his own body would experience those things Right? You see, Jesus' body was, the, the analogy for Jesus' body in Scripture is the temple. Right? So Jesus will say, you know, tear down this temple and I will raise it again in three days. So when Jesus looks at the destruction of the temple, his mind must have gone to the destruction of his own body as he himself would bear the weight of injustice for his church. Right? And so the reason that this is good news is because if you are in Christ, if you trust in Him, if you believe in Him, He says to you, I will take your place at the coming judgment. I will experience the coming judgment on your behalf. We call that the gospel. Right? Every other religion on the face of the planet is This is who God is, this is what you must do to keep him happy, but only Christian faith, only Christian faith says, I am your Lord and your King and your God, but I will take your place on the day of judgment. I will sign up for that. I will sign up to be ripped apart. I will sign up to receive the terror. I will sign up to receive all the horror, so that if you believe in me, if you trust in me, that you can come into my family, that you can have the place of a son, and I will have the place of the criminal. And so it is uh, in the gospel, so it is in this passage, as Jesus is saying these words, I believe that you can trust him. That even though that this is more terrible than I think any of us here knows, that we can trust him because as he says these words, as he looks at the temple, His mind must have been going to the cross. And as we come to this table, as we face the things that you face, right? All of you are facing things right now. All of you have things on your plate that you are not actually adequate for, you all need help in some ways, that you can come to this table and you can see the Savior, the Lord, the King over all creation who is also the Lamb upon the throne. You can see the one who died and who suffered and says to you, I will forgive every sin, I will wipe away every wrong, I will make you completely and utterly and wholly righteous as I go to the cross and absorb the wrongs that you have done into myself. And friends, I hope that you will allow that to lead you to worship. I hope that you will allow that to make you desperate to know the Holy Spirit who is at work in these things. I hope that that will renew a season of prayer in your lives, and I hope that that will lead you to a new kind of courage as you go about your lives, right? Some of you perhaps didn't, did not invite anyone to our things as you were afraid. I hope that, that you will uh, f- uh, be able to face those fears, saying, I believe in the power of Christ because I have experienced it and I trust him because look at what he would do for me. Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, we worship you. Holy Spirit, we adore you, and I pray, oh Christ, that you would be at work powerfully. I pray, oh God, that you uh, would, would come into the lives of everyone in this room to just open up a whole new reality for us this year in prayer. I pray, O God, that we would learn together and separately dependency upon the Holy Spirit that would be part of how it is you seek to accomplish your mission for Phoenixville this year. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us as we come to this table, that you would show us a new level to the depth of love that you have for your church because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand as we approach this table?